And so again, this, this is informative. Take notes on the sheet that you got. If you got a question or two, write that down. We're going to try to leave maybe five to ten minutes at the end of each session um, for you guys to ask questions. And if there's something that we might not have time to, we can always plan to talk at another time, um, you know, over the phone or in person or something like that. Because again, we want to make sure you guys truly understand what we're saying while we're saying it. And, you know, when you you know, Lord willing, become a part of North Avenue, you know what you're getting into, you know why we are the way we are. Um, so that being said, we're just going to talk through this, make some comments as we go. Jerry, you know, we'll bounce it back and forth, I guess. Um, but we think kind of in a, a general way, a statement of faith, um, we say that God exists and has revealed himself to mankind. And that's, that's important in and of itself. God is the one who takes the initiative for us to know Him. It's not something we figure out on our own. Um, we do not believe in what is called deism. You've probably heard of that, the blind watchmaker analogy. He wound up the universe. It's going on its own. He's uninvolved. We do not believe that. Um, God is active in the world. He is active in the lives of people. And He comes to us and He says through, through creation, this is who I am, but even more specifically through the Scriptures, he shows us who He is, and He wants us to know Him. He wants us to walk with Him and obey Him. Um, so he, is, he exists. He revealed Himself to mankind. He has rescued and redeemed a people for Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, it should go without saying, but as a church, we're an assembly of people who have faith in Jesus Christ. That's, he's the, the center of everything we're about. Um, and that's why we say He's rescued and redeemed a people for himself and so we are a, a, a group of people who have been rescued who've been redeemed by jesus that's our hallmark that's what identifies us and separates us out from the rest of the world uh, the good news is to be preached to all nations for god's glory and our joy um, from its inception the church has always found it helpful to summarize its core convictions uh, in rather short, succinct, succinct statements such as hymns, creeds, and confessions to impart truth, to clarify and prevent confusion, and to protect from false teaching and otherwise hold fast to our heritage um, in the faith. Um, and so again, uh, this statement and this statement of faith is our best attempt at summarizing what we believe the Bible teaches. Um, it's Again, it's not a perfect statement by any stretch. We would never claim infallibility. That's only for the Scriptures. Um, but uh, we need to be clear about what we think Scripture teaches and what we're going to emphasize. And so there's a few more, a few more things we could, we could read there about that. Again, our final authority is the Bible. Okay, um, Scripture is the, the authority underneath every other authority. But that doesn't mean that confessions or creeds or stuff like that aren't useful we need summaries. We need things that we can go to to say, okay, well, I know the Bible's the authority, but what does the Bible say about Jesus? A good statement of faith can give you wording and sentences that you can make use of when thinking about God, when thinking about Jesus, and when talking about God and Christ and other things to other people. Um, and so hopefully it'll prove that, that for you. Now again, what we, we've got three, as it says, distinct but complementary statements. The statement of basic beliefs um, again, is the most foundational beliefs of what we call Christian orthodoxy or right belief, right doctrine. Um, if, you, if you're outside of these basic beliefs, we would say you're outside of Christianity. 
Um, and I mean, that's the scriptures lead us to this. I think scriptures are most clear on these things. Um, and I don't foresee that being an issue for anything, but um, let's look at those. That's on page two, if you just flip over. Um, again, just going to read through this. We're going to um, go through some of these statements, look at some of these scriptures to kind of show you, you know, why do we say it the way we say it? Um, especially in something like this, we want to ground it in actual passages and texts because this isn't just our opinion. We're trying to show what scripture says. But the first paragraph there says, The gospel is the hope of the world. As we read the scriptures, we see the overarching themes of God's providence, his power, his provision to reconcile mankind and the created world to himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so in light of this, we aim to be explicitly gospel-centered in all that we preach, teach, and practice. And gospel-centered simply means, like, like this statement says, but saying a little more, you know, the whole Bible in one way or another is about Jesus and his saving work. Um, the Old Testament is anticipating him, the Gospels are presenting him, and the rest of the New Testament is explaining and applying uh, him and what he's done, um, if you want it in a, a succinct way. The whole Bible is about Jesus in that way. That doesn't mean every single sentence or word, you've got to find some mysterious meaning in Jesus, but when you start reading statements and you start reading sentences and you start reading paragraphs, you see, especially the Old Testament, leaning forward towards a coming Savior. Um, you cannot escape that. Um, from, from Genesis chapter 3, when God promises that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, everything else after that is shaped by that promise, that there is a coming Savior who's going to fix what got messed up when Adam and Eve rebelled um, in terms of especially people but also the rest of the world. Um, so when we say gospel-centered, that's what we're talking about. Um, you probably noticed in, in the preaching emphasis here, um, we're always, we try to be faithful to where we are in a text, but we also still try to point to Jesus as legitimately as we can from wherever we are. I think that's our calling, our mandate. Um, and so gospel-centered, that's what we're talking about. And so what do we believe? Again, basic beliefs. This is, I think, a good summary of basic Christianity. Uh, first off, that the scriptures are true, authoritative, and sufficient. True, authoritative, and sufficient. When we say true, uh, for something to be true, I mean it corresponds to reality. It lines up with what is real. Um, scriptures do that. Um, and I would go even further and say not only are the scriptures true, they are truth. The standard of what we, by which we evaluate every other idea, thought, and opinion. When we say authoritative, it means it carries the authority of God himself. Um, and so it's like, imagine God were, God were to physically manifest and speak to us. That word would not carry more authority than what's written here. That is how authoritative this book is. It is binding. It is final. Um, to reject what is written is to reject the God who inspired it. And so when we say they are authoritative, that's what we're talking about. It's as if God himself were speaking. And sufficient simply means um, everything we need to know God, to walk with God, to fight sin, to overcome sin, um, to live in this world in a way that pleases God, Scripture gives us that. We don't need other theories. We don't need other philosophies to supplement Scripture, to help Scripture out. God has given us everything necessary in His Word for us to walk with Him faithfully until Jesus comes back. 
Greg, can I throw in? Yeah, go ahead, sure, please. Uh, I wonder if maybe this applies, especially in counseling, where we as a church would mm -hmm. say, when there, because there's kind of different kinds of counseling that goes on in the in the whole Christian realm. But Greg, you would be great at kind of explaining that we would really say when we counsel, and that's a wide range of from marriage counseling to yeah. any kind of counseling, we're just going to hold to the scriptures. Not saying that someone else doesn't have some insights that are important, right, yeah. but this is going to trump everything else, yeah. and we're going to steer away from psychology or some things like that that might uh we don't believe would be completely biblical could you add to that just for a second because i can see that that mm. possibly being a distinctive here yeah um and that's a good application of sufficiency i mean we you know when it comes to the things we struggle with um you know we we need to evaluate our struggles the source of our struggles the way we handle things um all of that from God's perspective, God, God, think about it. God is creator. God understands us better than anyone else. Um, and if scripture is his word, then whatever his word says to us about us, we need to take home as absolute truth. And so when we counsel here, we do it based on what does the scripture say is the source of our problems. We know it's sin. Sometimes we go through things that aren't our fault, but we are responsible for how we respond to things and the habits that we develop and the ways of thinking. And so we're going to approach that from a scriptural basis in terms of understanding how sin works, um, how God, by the Spirit, through the Word, um, helps us turn away from sin, whether that's a practice, whether that's a habit, whether that's a thought of mind. Um, scripture gives us the pathway we need to come out of sin and to overcome sin. And so our final authority and when we counsel and um, help, you know, talk through any issue you might have, we're going to go to Scripture first and last. There's wisdom to be had based on Scripture, um, but we're not going to go read a psychological textbook to say we need that in addition to the Bible. Um, we believe Scripture is sufficient to help us as believers walk through whatever we may face and come out stronger um there's again there's that's a whole big issue um but that's that's our perspective in a nutshell um ready to move on because we got we got more to do and not a whole lot of time to do it um so the next statement there there is only one true god creator of heaven and earth actually hold on i wanted to look at one scripture real quick on the scriptures uh, i want to make sure we do that second timothy chapter three if you have your bible um, we're just going to look at verse 16. Um, you say, why would we say the scriptures are authoritative? They're the final authority. They're sufficient. Um, because there's something about the nature of scripture that we need to understand. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Um, the Apostle Paul, everybody, everybody's there mostly, says this. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. And the word, the phrase I want to focus on is breathed out by God. It, it's a unique word in the Greek. I think you could actually say Paul might have coined the word himself by combining a couple of things, but it does mean breathed out by God. God exhaled. You think of when we talk, we're exhaling 
Um, the scriptures are God speaking in that way. I mean, God doesn't have vocal cords and all of that, literally. Um, but that's the, the emphasis here. And the reason why we say scripture is sufficient is because only scripture is God-breathed. Only scripture is breathed out by God in this way. No other document in the world carries that stamp, that descriptor of God-breathed. And because it's God-breathed, again, it carries his authority and therefore his perspective um, on everything, which is what we need. So, again, there's more we could say on that, but this is quick overview. Um, the next statement, there is only... Yeah, go ahead. Really? How about that? That's awesome. Very cool. Neat how that worked out. Um, all right, next statement. There is only one true God, creator of heaven and earth, who eternally exists in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, we, we do not demand that you fully grasp the doctrine of the Trinity here. Nobody can. How God can be three in one, and yet one God, yet three distinct persons, um, that is a mystery that is above our ability to fully grasp. Um, I think we can... We can have some good parameters and some good statements where we unpack what that means, what that doesn't mean, um, but we do believe it is necessary to faithful Christianity to believe that God is a trinity. Um, and so, uh, man, where could we look for that? Matthew chapter 3, I think this is the baptism of Jesus. If you'll look there real quick, Matthew chapter 3. No, wait a minute. Um, yeah, Matthew 3, uh, 13 through 17. Zach, will you read that for us? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Thank you. Just a brief comment on this, and then we're going to move on to the next one. Um, when we talk about one God, three distinct persons, I think this is one of the clearest passages you can go to to see distinction of persons and yet a unity in the Godhead. Um, you've got the Son of God in flesh being baptized. You've got the Spirit of God distinct from Him coming to rest on Him and then the Father in Heaven speaking about His Son. Um, and if God were not three distinct persons, this whole thing doesn't make any sense. Um, we don't believe when we say the Trinity that God is like just three different modes um, where it's like three different hats, same person, three different hats. No, we're talking three distinct persons. And again, even that word doesn't fully capture what we're saying here. Language is limited. Um, it limits us on this. But we've got three distinct divine persons, one God. Um, I think the late Adrian Rogers said it best, um, if you try to fully understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind, but if you deny it, you'll lose your soul. Um, this is crucial to right Christianity. All right, moving on. 
It's Farhose here and Speedy Gonzalez. Um, all things exist for the glory of God. All things exist for the glory of God. Um, God does everything for his glory to show his worth, to show his fame, and to draw us into worshiping him, loving him, making a big deal about him. That's what I try to tell my students. How do you do all things for the glory of God? That means you live in such a way that you're always trying to show how great God is, how big of a deal he is over everything. Um, Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Um, Paul sums up an amazing, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans in just a, a few verses here. Um, Billy, will you read that for us? Romans eleven thirty-three through 36. Ah, mm. I'm just keeping, keeping you ready, man. Keeping you ready. Just a simple statement there amongst, um, we, we could have probably several hundred verses and not exhaust what the Bible says about God and his glory. But all things exist to show how great God is. Um, all right, moving on to a less exciting part of what we believe but just is necessary. All humanity, Christ excluded, is sinful by both birth and action. Uh, we say Christ excluded because Christ was truly and fully human, but he never sinned. He didn't have a sinful nature, and he never committed sin. He was without sin in every way. Even though he experienced temptation fully, um, that's why he's able to help us. But that's for another time. All humanity is sinful by birth and action. Um, it means we have sin is simply a transgression of the law of God. It's a violation of the will of God. Um, it's expressed in rebellion against God. It's expressed in desire for to worship things other than God, to make our own gods, to do our own thing, to go our own way, to live a life without reference to God. Um, it's expressed in a desire to suppress God's truth um, and a whole host of other things we could say. Sin, as R.C. Sproul said, is cosmic treason. Um, it is the ultimate evil in the universe. Um, it is the, the, the one thing that brings about the wrath of God more severely than anything else. Um, and we are all culpable in it. Uh, we are all guilty of it. Um, we come into this world with a sinful nature, um, and we sin as soon as we are able. Um, all the parents in here know that. Um, no is probably one of the most oft-used words with our kids, especially when they're little. Why? Because we're prone to get into stuff that we shouldn't do because we want things we shouldn't want. Um, that's how sin works. It's an operative principle in all of us. Um, and so one verse for this, or one little passage, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Um, a very, very clear, clear section here. And again, we're just going to read it and probably move on for time's sake. But we're doing good. We're doing good here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Miss Linder, will you read that for us? 
thank you. Again, so much we could say from that, but um, I think that sums up a lot. Um, even though you, we profess faith in Jesus before that, we were no different from anyone else um, in terms of our sin and being children of wrath like everyone else. Um, the deserved penalty for sin uh, is physical and spiritual death. Um, physically, our bodies break down, they decay, they eventually die. Um, and spiritually, we are separated from God, subject to his wrath, um, and that's the right penalty for it. Uh, you all know Romans 6.23. We don't have to turn there. The wages of sin is death. I mean, that's like the paycheck of sin. You know, if any of you have had a job in any way, you get paid for the work you do. Um, and the paycheck for sin is death. God said that in the Garden of Eden, the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And die they did. It wasn't an immediate total death, but the process physically began, um, and then they're separated from God, um, no longer in His presence, no longer in the Garden, um, you know, living in a world that is now cursed to because of our sin. Uh, life is difficult in a whole host of ways that would not have been difficult had they obeyed. Um, and death and, um, as we'll see in a little bit, eternal punishment, uh, the final expression of death um, for the penalty of sin. All right, moving on. Essential. Again, basic essential beliefs here. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, born of a virgin, uh, fully, truly God and man at the same time. Um, this is so crucial. It, in the same way that the Trinity is a mystery, so is the Incarnation. How can He who existed forever as the eternal Son of God also exist at the same time with a truly human nature and be both God and man? Um, he's not confused. He's not conflicted. He's not schizophrenic. He's got two natures, his human nature, his divine nature, yet he's one person. If that boggles your mind, you're normal, that's a good thing. Um, that's hard for us to fathom, but it is true about Jesus. Two natures, one person, um, not a split personality. There's no conflict within Jesus, his human and divine nature wrestling together. He was united in who he was, um, and he was virgin-born. Why does that matter? Maybe virgin-conceived is a better way to think about it. Um, he had to be, otherwise he would have inherited sin from Adam. But because of how God did that, Mary not having had relations yet, um, Jesus takes a true human nature from his mother, but sin is passed down on account of the Father, and Jesus did not have an earthly father to, uh, to bring him into this world. He was specially brought about by the Holy Spirit, um, and so he did not inherit a sinful nature. That's why the virgin birth, the virgin conception matters. It kept Jesus free from from coming into this world with sin. Um, one text on this, uh, John chapter 1. You guys know this one well. Um, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Um, we preached through the gospel of John here. Mark did, what, a year ago? Um, you can probably go back uh, either on, um, was it not Spotify, uh, Podbean, or through our, our church website. If you want to hear some of those sermons, um, I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, but John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Um, Jared, did I remember right? Do you, do you mind reading? Sure. Go for it. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made 
All right, thank you. And then if we were to go down, verse 14 also, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, um, saying this eternal word who is the Son took on a full human nature uh, for us. Okay, moving on yet. Again, like I said, this is informative. It's a lot to, to look at, but just again trying to make sure we hit a few high points. Um, Jesus Christ died as the sacrificial substitute to pay the penalty for sin. Uh, the more technical term for this is penal substitutionary atonement. He suffered the penalty that we deserve for our sin, and he did it in our place. That's the substitutionary language, um, meaning what we deserved for our sin against God, the physical, spiritual death, the eternal punishment, somehow, amazingly, when he was on the cross, Jesus took all of that on himself. And so valuable was that death because he's not just suffering as a man, he's suffering as the God-man. He is able to absorb the wrath of God for every person who trusts in him. So you can never exhaust the worth of his death. It is inexhaustible. It is infinite in value. Um, and that's one reason why we can preach the gospel to everyone because there is literally enough in his death for every person if they would come. Um, but he literally paid the penalty for sin. Um, he was counted a sinner um, in our place. And so he suffered what we deserved. Um, and then I think Mark said this, we get what he deserves, which is God's favor, God's blessing, God's love. Um, we get what he deserves. He took what we deserved. Um, man, there's a lot we could read here. Romans um, chapter, it's not on here. Romans chapter 3. We'll just look at this real quick. You think of paying the penalty for sin. Romans chapter 3. Let's look at verse um, 23 through 25. Um, I'll read that real quick. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. And the point is, God put Jesus on the cross in our place um, to show that God is not overlooking sin. Um, God takes sin very seriously, and when He forgives us, He doesn't sweep our sin under the rug. Our sin is actually punished, just not on us. It's punished on Jesus in our place. And so Jesus' propitiation there means satisfying. He satisfied God's righteous wrath. Um, God shows that He will not overlook sin. He's committed to justice while at the same time forgiving us, which is the glory of the gospel. Um, another essential truth is that Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and will one day physically return. Um, we, we have to stress the physical part. We could say literal. We could say bodily. Um, because there's this kind of, if you watch like Disney movies and like a lot of things, you know, the Hallmark shows, and I'm not saying those things are necessarily all bad, but if you pay attention, it's always like, well, people, when they die, they, you know, they live on in here. You know, they don't really go away. They, they, they live on in your hearts. And when we talk about resurrection, that's not what we're saying. Jesus doesn't, like, come back to life, so, so forth. 
you know, when we remember him and have a fond memory of Jesus. No, he was physically dead, and he physically came back to life. He was bodily dead, he bodily came back to life. He doesn't just live on in our hearts, he lives on in his own body that was raised from the dead. This is absolutely essential um, to biblical Christianity. And not only did he physically rise, he physically went into heaven, and he's physically coming back. That's what Titus calls the blessed hope. Uh, we look for the day when Jesus comes back to fully establish his kingdom. And he will do it personally, visibly, publicly, um, in the same body that was killed and rose from the dead. Um, how essential is this? Man, there's a lot we could see. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, that was just a, one book over from Romans. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Don't have time to read all of this. Um... Let's read verses 16 through 18. Um, Jamie, could you read that? Jamie? Right? John. John, I'm so sorry. See, this is why we're doing this. This is why we're doing this. Goodness, thank you. John, uh, verses 16 through 18. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And verse 19, sorry. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Yeah, and John, thank you. Um, so yeah, the, the point is, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then Christianity is a hoax and a sham, and we have no business being here. Paul got that. And so he, he's like, look, Christ rose from the dead. Um, and he's got a big argument for that, and there's a whole lot more we could say. All right, moving on. You guys are doing great. We're almost there. Um, there will be a future physical resurrection of the dead. Only those who turn from sin and to Jesus in faith and repentance will be raised to eternal reward. Those who do not turn from sin and to Jesus will be raised to eternal punishment. Um, well, I think it's uncontroversial to say um, if you have faith, then you're going to have eternal life with God in heaven. The, the, the harder part is to say that the flip of that is there is eternal punishment in hell for everyone who rejects Jesus, who rejects God. Um, but yes, as a church, we wholeheartedly affirm that there is unending eternal punishment for sin for all those who have not um, trusted in Jesus or through just general revelation have not responded to God, which is everyone, um, unless God and grace comes to us. And so there's a lot we could say on that. Um, but that can be very, very controversial. Uh, we don't believe in what's called annihilationism, which is God, um, eternal punishment is you're just destroyed and you don't exist anymore. Um, we believe scripture clearly teaches that it is an eternal, ongoing, conscious thing. Um, and if that is a, a difficult thing, one, one thing I would offer is simply this. We know in our legal system the punishment should fit the crime. And so in this case, if the Bible teaches that the punishment for sin is, is eternal and unending, then how horrible must sin be as a crime before God? Um, God will not do wrong. God will not, he will not sin. He will not be unjust. He will not give to anyone anything other than what they deserve. Um, and if eternal punishment is the, the penalty for sin, then sin must indeed be a horrible, horrible thing um, to merit such a punishment. Um, again, there's a whole lot more we could say on that.
Um, and the last thing, real quickly, um, we might have a couple of minutes for, uh, for any questions. Um, only through faith in the person and work of Jesus and repentance from sin can one be reconciled to God and experience true life and joy. We all need to be saved. We cannot pay the penalty Jesus did. We must turn from our sin and trust Him alone. We don't add our works. We don't add our own goodness. We look completely outside ourselves to Jesus um, to save us and make us right with God. Um, and that is what we all must do um, in order to be saved. Okay, again, ba- statement of basic beliefs. That's a lot to go through. It's like drinking from a fire hose, so I thank you guys for hanging in there. Um, any questions about any of what we looked at? Um, and if, you, and if you, know, you don't have one right now or you're working on it, um, like I said, you can email us, you can talk to us after the service because um, we want to answer any questions you might have over any of these things. Any questions or comments or anything you just want to know a little more about what Can we I looked just at? Give two quick ask yeah, things. Yeah, go for it. This and and uh, thank you, Greg. Wow, what a great summary here. Um, if you are still interested after a week of uh, joining <laughs> North Avenue, please fill out. Most of you have, a lot of you have. Please go to our website, which I can barely text, so I couldn't probably find our website. Please go to the church website and fill out a, your testimony and your understanding of the gospel. Yeah, a lot of you have done that, but that's mm-hmm. something that we want as elders read that. And then we will send those, keep this in mind too, as you do it. We will send those to the congregation mm-hmm. um, so that they would affirm you joining our church. Uh, not your understanding of the gospel, maybe your testimony, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, and so if you could do that by next Sunday, that would be, um, that would be great. And I forgot yeah. the other thing. I had Sorry. Things, um, 50%. I guess that counts. This is my old kindergarten average right there. <laughs> so so any, any quick questions? We, we've only got like a minute or two, but if there's anything real quick you'd want to ask, here's your chance. Just a housekeeping. Uh, for, mm-hmm. uh, I work every other Sunday during okay. this time, so uh, I just, you know, she should be here, so okay. I guess she can just catch me up on anything. Yeah, and we're recording, so um, at okay, some point, I'll if you want to you want to listen, that'd probably be good just okay, to work through okay. it yourself, too. Okay. Um, yeah, that wouldn't be a problem. I remember the other thing now. The, thank you for that. that uh, if you, this, by taking the class, you're not um, locked in, you yeah. know, and we also want to, as uh, the elders or as the church, well, we may come to you and say, hey, would it be better if you keep learning uh, another three, four months? You know, think about joining at the next time. Yeah. That might, you know, be a possibility, too. If you're like, well, you know, maybe a new believer or maybe a, and you say, this is what. So so either way, you're not, uh, we're, we want to get to know you and uh, we want you to get to know us through this. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we are definitely not, Greg, I think would agree with this, we are definitely just not after more members, right? Mm-hmm. We want you to join if that's what the Lord would have you to do, and uh, and if you, you know, agree and are on the same page, but we know that not everybody is, and so we mm-hmm. want to be careful in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. Yeah. And just to, by extension, going through the class doesn't automatically make you a member either. Right. That's something, like we said, once we go through this, 
um, the testimonies will go out and we're going to have a members meeting once that's done where the current members will affirm into membership um, everybody applying from you know going through this process who still wants to and then on a Sunday you know you'll be up front you've probably seen seen this happen Mark will ask a few questions just basic affirmations you'll say yes I believe you know I do or whatever it's not a marriage um, it's a you know affirming church membership but I do is just a good a good phrase um, and then that's kind of official how it all goes um, so any questions on that real quick clear as mud there's three right now. Yeah. Um, it'll be this week, next week, and then one more after that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Let's. Uh, we got about eight minutes before the service starts. Thank you guys for being here. And again, if you have any questions along the way, that anything that comes up, please shoot shoot us an email. Let us know.